Hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by Carolyn Cremens. Uh, Carolyn has played a key role in launching and rebuilding some of the most vulnerable brands in media business. She's known for her keen marketing insights and uh, for devising a lot of winning business strategies. Uh, Carolyn, I know, has also streamlined operations, enhanced brands, uh, visibility and increased consumer demand uh, with pioneering initiatives across digital, mobile, video, licensing, events, uh, the list goes on, print platforms. And um, for people like Maxim, The Week, Brides, Condé Nast, Traveller, and uh, now Carolyn is the president of Skift, which is one of the most influential business intelligence marketing platforms in the world of travel and food and wellness. So I'm delighted you're joining us here on the show today, Carolyn. You're very welcome. Thank you, Simon. Great to be here. Very good. My goodness, I, I'm just, the mind is buzzing already with everything that you've been involved in and everything that you're doing now at Skift. And I'm hoping that this is a real interesting conversation for our audience because the world of travel, unlike any other industry, has gone through one heck of a transformation uh, in recent times. So uh, we can get into that a little bit. But let's let's start, Karen, if I can, by asking you about your career path in the publishing industry. Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. It's been nothing but astonishing. So can you tell me a little bit about how you first got into publishing and, you know, what you like about the industry? Well, Simon, thanks for having me as a guest. I'm delighted to be here and to see you again. And that was some introduction, so thank you. Um, but it all started um, when I was a um, teenager, about 12, 13 years old. I read a book um, that was titled Subliminal Seduction. I don't know if you remember that book. Um, it was written by uh, Wilson Bryan, and he was. Um, it, it made quite a splash. Uh, and really investigating advertising and, and the subliminal messages behind it. And I was fascinated. I read it when I was 12 years old, so I was fascinated by it. So I knew that I had to be in advertising. That was something that just um, made a really big impact on me. So um, I graduated uh, university and I got my first job as an assistant media planner at a major advertising agency, Pocone Belding. And I was offered $9,500 a year salary, $9,500. And I, I was thrilled, right? And so, um, you know, at, at those, in that time frame, people were lining up around the corner. I was like, I'll take the job. So um, years later, um, or actually I should say just quickly thereafter, I transitioned from agency because I realized that's the last thing I wanted to do was work um, in an advertising agency. I transitioned into sales and um, I worked for many um, well-known brands and uh, quickly uh, you know, went through that path of growing in, into leadership. And then I became the launch publisher of Maxim. Um, and, you know, that was, uh, Laddie magazines in the UK were, you know, somewhat common, but in the United States, we did not have that genre of magazine. And as soon as um, uh, Felix Dennis, uh, the founder, approached me and a small group of people, um, uh, we just thought, oh my God, this is going to be amazing because nothing like this exists. And uh, we launched the magazine back in um, 1998. And it just took off like wildfire. It, we had unprecedented success. Um, 
And then after six years of building that brand to 2 million um, subscribers, not readers, subscribers and, new, and people who bought it from the newsstand, um, I then launched another one of his magazines called The Week, which is a news weekly that was aimed at um, executives. And then I went actually uh, back over to Condé Nast and uh, was the publisher of many of their brands. So, um, you know, I, I, during that time, I then went for magazines and transitioned into digital media because I, I saw the writing on the wall for magazines. And um, I uh, worked on one of their brands called Epicurious. Uh, and, you know, so it, it's been quite a, uh, quite a journey, I should say. That's incredible. And I, I love the fact that you, you referred to them as readers. And we all talk about subscribers today, don't we? But back then they were readers, right? Not only that, 75% of the um, of the uh, of the magazines were bought on newsstand. Right. Like, so incredible. you think full price. Like, you know, it was a yeah. cash cow for sure. Yeah, we made Felix a lot of money. And you mentioned Felix Dennis there and anybody in the publishing world would know Felix Dennis. I remember reading his book. He bought a book out, was it about five years ago? Maybe a bit more than that now. Uh, but he had some very interesting products and services, everything from posters to full-on publishing. And uh, he made quite a name for himself um, at the time. And uh, it's it's interesting, isn't it, how the publishing industry has changed and developed and your move, as you said, then brought you into digital. Um, and I'm, I'm reminded of a, a, another gentleman, uh, Tyler Brule, uh, over at the Monocle. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, well. of course. I love what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like he's really championing print media. He's opened up newsstands. He's got his own coffee shop, sort of kiosks and, and stores where he's selling print publishing. But he's, uh, I think they're over 10 years. There must be over 10 years now. And what he's done with, um, print publishing and traditional print media at a time where the industry did see a, st a sharp decline to digital he's really championed the path i notice a lot of the digital assets to what they're doing at that group have have improved over the over recent years but uh, that's been a good one to watch so thank you for, for yeah. taking us through that that journey yeah. it's incredible and the titles <laughs> that you've been involved in everybody knows them right whether it's yeah. maxim or yeah. conde nast they're known the world over but let me talk a little bit just one more question on publishing before we get into uh, some other uh, topics there's a lot of different elements in publishing, right? So you've got fashion, you've got sports, you've got technology. And obviously, you know, you sort of got into that travel and that uh, gastronomy uh, type area. So was there any was there any passion or rhyme or reason to that? Or was it just the great opportunity came along at the right time? Yeah, no, I, I um, that's my passion. That's my personal passion, right? So I've been really fortunate. Um, uh, working in the various sectors um, um, or industries, I should say, from fashion. I was at Elle magazine. I was at Brides. I was at, uh, you know, um, at the News Weekly and Laddie and, and magazines. But um, when it comes to travel, I'm a very passionate traveler. Um, since I, again, was a little girl, like my earliest memory was just um, I couldn't wait to take our family trips. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So our family trips were always in the car driving somewhere. You know, I, I didn't get on a plane until I was in my 20s and I had to pay my own airfare to take a trip down to Florida um, with a friend for spring break. But anyway, um, I just loved to go anywhere. We would go drive somewhere. We would stay at a Holiday Inn. And to me, that was like the best thing ever. So travel was always in my blood. And even today, anywhere I go, it can be long haul, it could be close by, you know, I could bus, train, fly, 
I'm in. And I think the thing about that, and by the way, I've been to seven continents and almost twice. Uh, when I hit Australia again, that will be times two. So, um, you know, so I'm a passionate traveler. So when having the opportunity, when I was at Condé Nast, um, I was working on brides and um, most of the work that I did in publishing was always about turning around venerable brands or launching brands from the ground up. That's what I love to do is to build brands or course correct them. But when I was at um, Brides, I had, um, I had done the work that they asked me to do, uh, but I was never like passionate about the, the whole genre of bridal. I was never that girl that like dreamt of getting married and you know, planning every detail. That wasn't me. So when I, when I finished what they asked me to do, I, I, I approached our CEO and I said, I'm done with this. Like, where can I go from here? And he said, where do you want to go? And I said, Condé Nast Traveler. And lo and behold, that's, that was my first foray in terms of taking my personal pleasure and then connecting it to the business. And, oh, it was amazing. It was really, truly amazing, uh, you know, to travel the world as, a, as the, you know, executive at Condé Nast Traveler. I saw things, met people um, that were amazing. Um, shortly thereafter, I again, saw the writing on the wall and I knew I had to get that digital experience. So I raised my hand to go over to Epicurious because that was a pure digital play. And it was also food, which I'm also a very passionate foodie. Um, and, you know, they're both connected so deeply because, you know, some people travel and they do it through the lens of um, art or design. When I travel, it's food first. Right, like I, 24 hours into my trip, I'm at the local food market. I'm walking down the aisles of the supermarket. Um, you know, I'm going to. I'm asking the taxi drivers where's the best place to eat. So that you know, seeing seeing the culture and understanding the way um, locals um, live um, through food to me makes so much sense. So that that's really the passion and the connection between food and travel, and why. I kind of push my career into those areas. That's that's lovely, and it, I suppose the food and the travel it really does immerse you in a culture, doesn't it? You 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 get a real immersion in in the local culture, which is a wonderful thing. It certainly does, as they say, broaden the mind, doesn't it? It, it definitely does. And and just one last thing on that is that I recently, about uh, two years ago, um, I was in Dubai, and I and I took my uh, I was there with my family. And um, we were recommended by a, a local to go to this like working man's lunch uh, kebab restaurant, really off the beaten track. And when we were in there, and so I'm with my two blonde daughters, myself and my husband, and every other person in there was, you know, a local, um, you know, someone from the, um, the region and all, you know, dressed in their traditional where and there we were the three blonde women you know <laughs> and my and the americans at the table but they couldn't have been nicer the owner came over he was so excited you know to, and talking about new york and where we live and we were asking them about their culture and it was, we stayed there for hours and um that's to me like that's a great um slice of what travel and the connection to food and local and learning about culture it was something i'll never forget that's that's wonderful. And so you mentioned Epicurus uh, there, Epicurus.com. And like you were the senior senior vice president and general manager at Condé Nast Digital, right? 
but you're responsible then for this complete overhaul of the Epicurus brand and positioning, if I'm, if I'm right in saying that. So, you know, pushing unique visitors there to what was at the time its highest level. Is that, is that correct in, in sort of the, yeah. the time that you were there? And you, you, you quadrupled or significant, significantly saw a huge spike in revenue growth as well in that sort of 18, 19 year history. Is that what I'd be right in saying that, Carolyn? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as a as a marketeer, obviously, I'm interested in that, those elements because that's that's significant spikes, and and sustained growth for that for that brand and the positioning. And when you look back on that time, was there any key, you know, for our audience too, was there any key activities or strategies that you would have deployed at the time? That you think were when you look back now retrospectively said that was actually what delivered that growth and you know maybe some of the challenges that you had to overcome because going from you know where you were and you were talking earlier about starting from the ground up and working from scratch but you you saw significant change in that brand yeah as i mentioned um um before is that um i, I one of the things that i love to do is to turn brands around so i was at Condé Nast again um I was seeing where the magazine industry was going and I knew I had to get into digital. And there was a, um, uh, and I, was, I, I didn't leave Condé Nast Digital. I was um, really at that point, just leading the, um, the Epicurious digital brand and putting together all of the food brands um, underneath that. But I knew I had to get to get some learning under my belt when it came to digital. And there was this brand, Epicurious, that was this venerable brand, but it launched in the 90s, right? Like, so, it, like, think about that. Like, that was before, like, any, anything was digital, right? And it was a bunch of recipes. But the one thing that I recognized is that it had huge brand equity. Everyone knew Epicurious. Anyone who cooked knew the brand Epicurious. But in the, the company, Condé Nast, never really invested much into the brand. So they kind of let the brand just go on and go on and go on. And so there was no investment in it. So I um, got into sort of the weeds. I, like, I went under the hood and I was able to see how like easy it would be to rebuild the brand and to bring it from where it had been to where it could go. And um, First of all, it was a platform built upon a platform built upon a platform. It was just like a train wreck. So the first thing we did was we just, you know, went down to the nails and we rebuilt the 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 the, the hardware, if you will. Um, so that was the biggest challenge was, you know, getting the right people on board and and the vision behind, you know, where we saw it could go. The other thing is is that um, everyone in their mother had a recipe and was online. It was a highly competitive time. Like the food, like it was like a food explosion online. So we knew that like we had to try to be different, that we couldn't just be um, all about just the recipes itself. So the company made a couple of acquisitions that added utility to the site. So um, we, we built in a, a shopping list capability, we built in a recipe box capability. So all of a sudden you now have these recipes and there were so many, we had Gourmet, which had since folded, Gourmet Magazine, Bon, um, bon Appetit. 
and Epicurious itself. So we had thousands of recipes, but now added the utility part to it. Uh, and then eventually changed out a lot of the photography. We added video into it. We added a lot of how-to. So all of that really helped um, take that brand from being like this dusted up old brand to really adding some um, great uh, contemporary modern um, you know, look, feel, and actually utility. So that that was really fun to do, and um, we had a great team there, and uh, it was a lot. It was really fun to turn that around. That, that's brilliant. I, I love hearing that because, you know, it takes somebody with the foresight to realize the value of the asset that's sitting there, and as you say, you know, you go from train wreck to this really important sector. And then when you bolt on the utility, you know, uh, aspects to it, it really does turn into a rocket ship of a property. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's fantastic. And as you say, though, you had to go right, pair it right back down to even the fundamentals of the, the back end yeah. infrastructure that it was sitting on, how, you know, layers on top of layers to really strip it back and then build out from there. And I think, you know, anybody listening to this knows that the, 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 the food um sector online it's just huge it's absolutely huge and it's a real passion and it's a real culture a movement of people that really do um to this day speak about those titles you know so it's uh, it's great to hear about that success i'm sure it was a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging than you you've maybe conveyed to me here carolyn because I, i'm sure that's not easy behind the scenes right no plenty of sleepless nights that's for sure <laughs> well look I, I there's a couple of things i want to squeeze in here because I, I i wanted to talk about you were named by advertising age another really you know global title as a woman to watch and you were highlighted as one of the most influential women in media um which is which is which is fantastic uh, and that was by folio so you've been named five times i believe by ad week and ad age hot list uh for for titles like conde nast traveler that you mentioned but also cookie and the week uh stuff of course maxim uh, could you just maybe tell me a little bit about that? Because that's 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 a fantastic uh, little trophy cabinet there you have, Carolyn. Thank you. Um, it, in, the recognition is great, but that is really a reflection um, purely um, uh, of the team and the people that I surrounded myself with. And I've been really, really fortunate. And I think that, you know, if anyone asks me about um, the key to my success, it's really um, about building um, a fantastic team. And um, that team also needs to be able to work in harmony with one another, right? So it's not just about getting the right people, but the right people who can collaborate. Um, and also, you know, not to sit on top of them, like empower, empower your team. Like if you, if they're the best and that's why you brought them on board, then, then give them the ability to, um, to, to, to live out the same vision and work in lockstep. Um, and to empower them. So really, I, I, I do think that all of that is 100% um, the team effort. And uh, that's that's how I got there. And, and well, it, I'm it, most it, proud of everyone there. Well, yeah. that, that's lovely to hear. And I mean, it is, I, I'm reflecting back on what we said earlier when we, we got talking about your start in publishing, when you got that first job <laughs> offer at the, the value that you described, <laughs> to, you know, to go from that sort of 
if I if I dare say humble beginning in the publishing world to then being sort of called you know the most influential one of the most influential women in media that, that's that's a, a huge journey isn't it but you you had to start somewhere right everybody starts somewhere and yeah. you meet interesting people along the way I'm sure yeah, and I have to say, Simon, I think it's really important in, in life to stay humble. I think you, you brought up a good point because, um, you know, you, you can't get lost in it all. And you have to always, uh, to me, you have to always remember who you are, where you came from, and uh, and, and try to get back along the way. So, 100%. It's really yeah, important. Yeah. And yeah. So, Carolyn, hopefully our audience now, they understand a little bit about the background, the publishing, some of the great titles that you've been involved in some of the passions around international travel and food and culture. And that, you know, hopefully that's telling a story in its own right. And now I want to get on to really uh, the thing that I've been itching to talk about, uh, because the last time I think you and I met in person, it was with yourself and with Rafat from Skift. Yeah. And uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Skift in, in detail. So I'm very familiar with it, of course, but I know some people listening may not be as familiar with it as you and I are, for sure. So could you tell people about the Skift universe, what's involved at Skift, and then maybe we can go from there into a discussion about the last couple of years, the pandemic, how that shifted the strategies and where Skift's at today, because anybody who's in, been in the travel industry, for sure, would know Skift. Um, but maybe could you just tell, tell people, first of all, a little bit about the Skiff universe, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Be happy to. That's what I, I love to do the most um, is, um, is talk about Skiff. And Skiff, I'll just start from the very beginning, is that the word itself, um, a lot of people don't know the meaning of the word Skiff, which is a Nordic word. And um, it, it um, actually means shift and change and transformation. And that's what we do as a business um, where we're reporting on the business of travel, and we're reporting exactly on that very thing, the shifts and the changes and the transformation that's happening in the industry every day. Um, so again, we're, we're a media company um, reporting globally across sectors. So we cover every sector within travel. Um, and essentially um, the, the makeup of the company is um, comprised of the editorial team, which is doing this reporting. and. It's not only what's happening today, um, but also we are very much looking at the trends that we see happening in the next one to two years and reporting on those. Our audience is made up of the senior level um, C-suite of the industry. And these are the very people who have to future-proof their own companies. So they are looking to skip to understand um, not only what's happening across sector, but also to understand what the, where the trends and where the industry is going. So we've positioned ourselves very much to be that authority and resource for the leaders of our industry. Um, we also have a very robust uh, research studio. Um, we, we put out 40 plus reports a year. We have a lot of data tracking that we offer the industry, a lot of analysis. Um, these are subscription products. And in fact, our content now is a subscription product as well. Um, and we also produce events. We have um, 10 skipped events a year. Um, and um, you know, this is a way where we can bring the very readers um, who are coming to SCIF together 
um, in a forum and um, it's a creative conference and we get um, leaders who are running big companies, we get leaders who are doing creative things and it becomes this really like great um, networking and learning opportunity. And then at the center of it all, we have our content studio and this is Skipdex and this is where we work with partners and we help them um, tell their story in a very skipty way. Um, and we help them amplify their messaging, um, whether it be externally to the industry. So we do a lot of internal work for our clients, of so, so research. Um, so we have a full working agency within Skipped as well. Wow, um, I've, I've been to a <laughs> Skift, I've been to Skift uh, events and they are truly, truly world-class. Um, They're absolutely, phenomenal and the skift reports that you mentioned as well as a recipient of a, quite a number of skift reports over the years the level of information and the level of quality is it's it's really high it's really high uh, and i think for anybody like I, I still to this day wax lyrical about skift and if you're in the travel or any related industry at all you you have to be tuned into skift because your events they're not just people from travel it's the the a-list travel community yeah. it's the it's the biggest names in travel that you have on stage that you have relationships with where a lot of these insights i'm sure come from and uh, it reads to me it's like the who's who of travel um it's incredible yeah th thank you for that but i i also want to say that it's not just who we have on stage it really i i give all the credit to our editorial team because they're not afraid to go there meaning that they'll get the biggest executive on stage, the CEO of any major company, and they have uh, full authority to go and ask whatever they want, and they challenge the executives. And we've heard over and over again from CEOs, I won't mention names, who say, like, I really have to prepare to go on your stage because they know that we're going to call them out if there's something or a question that needs to be answered we're gonna go there. So it, I think that's what so quickly built our authority and credibility is that we're not part of the travel industry. We're reporting on the travel industry. And that allows us to really do the kind of work and to have the kind of conversations that our audience really looks to. And I think that's a huge difference and we're the only one who really does that in the industry. And I, I truly believe it's the editorial team that really does, um, again, have the kind of guts to go in there and the confidence and and they we get the answers. No, absolutely. And I've seen that firsthand at the event where there's an yeah. open mic session and the, you know, the CEOs from the biggest travel brands on the planet. Are, are being asked really tough questions, you know? And yeah. But I think that's where the value is, right? That's where the value, right. that's where I get exactly. the value from because we're asking the questions, the audience, the SCIF community are, is asking the questions that people actually want the answer to. It's not just, right. a, it's not just a piece that's been put out by, you know, corporate speech from the the, the corporate entity. It's it's right. really, as I think you, said, you used the term earlier, it's really under the hood of what's going yeah. on. Uh, and I think that's to right. me, that's where the value is. Right. It's not a gotcha, but it's yeah. really just like, let's, yeah, yeah. let's, like, what were you thinking and how did it work for you? And yeah, it's, it's all of, about that. Yes. 
So in terms of Skiff then, with all, everything that you've got going on in, in the universe, what about this remote working model now? Um, <laughs> you know, it, have you been global constantly and all everybody's been remote in Skiff or how did it work? I mean, you know, we, the studio, yeah. is it in New York? Like, How are things working for you? And how did it impact? How did this whole having to go fully remote impact things like the huge events that you were running and what was your strategy during the, during the, the, the last year or two? Yeah. So um, listen, everyone, everyone didn't matter what industry you were in, you were hit by the pandemic. Right. So I, no one, no one was left untouched with that, but no industry was hit harder than travel. I mean, just think about it. There were airplanes, not on tarmacs, they were in the desert right? and the hotels were empty and being used for first responders, right? Like, like, the in, like nothing like this. We have not witnessed anything ever like this in our lifetime, right? And I, I really have to give um, our founder, who you know, Raffaele, the credit here, because as soon as this hit, um, we did two things. We, um, we moved really fast, right? And we we went right into survival mode. So what I meant by what I mean by that is that um, we looked at our business, we made deep cuts, meaning like we cut more than we thought we may have to. Um, and we had like, you know, uh, probably two months at like, you know, March and April of 24 seven executive meetings of like how what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And we just, I think those two factors in terms of moving fast and making those deep cuts, that saved our business. Um, that was really important. And I think that was probably um, the biggest learning was to move early and, and go deep. Um, we also at that time made the decision, our lease in New York was coming up and we talked about what it would be, given that we're in the travel industry, to create this globally distributed company. Meaning that why not let our employees, we're in the travel business, um, we're global, why not let our employees work remotely, um, give them latitude to go where they want, and that actually could be a benefit you know, to us all. Um, so we did that. So we closed our office in New York, we closed an office in London, we had a small place in Singapore, we closed everything. Um, and, you know, also we started seeing employees move out of New York and go to Oregon or Colorado, or I'm in Miami right now, who would have thought I would be in Miami, not me for sure. Um, but um, we made that decision. And it was, it's hard. I mean, it's like, first of all, you know, let me not forget the best part, which is, we survived. And not only did we survive, um, last year, we had the best profits that we ever had. Um, and we're in our 10th year, it was our 10th anniversary year. Um, so last year was the most profitable we've ever been. And this year, the momentum is like we've taken off. So honestly, it's been a, it's been our entire team has given blood. It's been really hard, um, but we, um, you know, to, to now see, to look behind and to see where we've been and then to see where we're going. It's like, it's really rewarding. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about that, um, <laughs> which is why I'm pausing because you're right. I mean, obviously, you know, we're sort of in the the the, the global content game, you know, um, and the business that that I've been involved in, fortunately, didn't see that same impact. It was growing and booming pre-pandemic, and the pandemic actually speeded it up. Uh, you know, it was almost an accelerant, and things have never been better, never been busier. But it is incredible to see how the profitability grew and how you've actually turned the corner and come out of it probably a stronger, better company. Uh, no question. Uh, no question. Which is, which is great to hear. Um, and I was I was thinking about the founder of Airbnb, uh, Brian Chetsky, who's, you know, he's mm. he's actually running that global business, but he's he's actually living in, I think he's taken a year to live in mm. Airbnb properties around the world just to get better insight into his own company. And he's used the, that, the, the sort of benefit of a year to really reflect on where the business is going. And I think it, it's incredible to see something like Skiff, how you've actually adapted. Agility, I think you, you put a lot of it down to making the decisions early and fast. And we hear that a lot. If you can make the tough, hard decisions quickly, it often leads to a much faster resolution and you, you sort of you can see the light at the end of the tunnel a lot quicker than possibly others who are not quite sure but what does that mean for skiff now then carolyn because we're you know depending on where you are in the world of course at the time of recording yeah. this some people are sort of almost back to normal uh travel i think is booming in lots of parts of the world uh what what does it look like for for skiff what's next for skiff what's what's on the horizon yeah, so um, as I mentioned, we're off to a very strong start and hopefully there's nothing lurking in the background that we don't know about, but um, we're, hopefully we'll be well prepared if, if there is and, and something that we can deal with. But, um, you know, right before the pandemic, um, the, the, in the years uh, prior to that, we made a couple of acquisitions. We acquired a brand called EventMB, which specializes in the event and meeting um, technology um, business that attracts um, meeting planners. And then we also acquired another brand called Airline Weekly, obviously um, in and around um, airlines. And right, the last acquisition we made was DLR, um, which is um, the daily lodging report. It's read by every CEO, hospitality um, leader, just to find out who's doing what in the industry. And then obviously, you know, the pandemic hit. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of back on and we're looking at more acquisitions, um, looking at ways uh, to continue to um, build Skift um, as, a, as a global player and, um, you know, and to continue to be the foremost authority that the industry turns to, to, to learn about what's happening. And um, yeah, so that's, that's our and focus in, right now. In-person events, Carolyn, are they back on the Oh, agenda? yes, of course, of course. Um, so we're excited about a new event that we're adding to our well, a couple of new events. The first is um, the um, the future of lodging. Um, there's so much. We used to have a hospitality event, and then we had a um, um, short-term rental event, and we started to think about like that. That like the consumer doesn't think about that anymore. They think they're going to go away. Where are they going to stay? It's about the accommodations. So um, we're putting together a two-day event. It will be in May in New York. Um, all the events we do will have a hybrid. Uh, um, it will be hybrid, meaning that there'll be a virtual element. Um, that was a big learning during the 
pandemic. I mean, all of our events went virtual um, and we really stepped up the number of events we did to keep the community together. But now when we do a physical event, you know, we can uh, have a larger footprint by having other people from around the world tuning in as well if they can't travel there. So Future Lodging is coming up in May. The other new event that we're adding to our Rasta is the Skip Global Forum East. So we have our flagship event in New York in September, but we um, are going to be launching um, an event in, uh, along with Dubai Tourism in Dubai in December. And there's so much happening in that region. It's really exciting. And we're thrilled uh, to be going into that region then. And then, uh, you know, just uh, next up on the docket is right in your neighborhood. We're going to be the Skip Forum Europe, which will be on March 24th in London. Hope that you'll, you'll come, come over and, 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 and hang with us for a bit. And uh, yeah, so events are going strong now. Yeah, that's really great to hear. Carolyn. Yeah, yeah, that's really great to hear. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, is there anything else that we haven't touched on in relation to, to travel? I, I I just wanted to as well maybe comment on something you said there about the hybrid element to events going forward. It, it's amazing, isn't it? How um, even in some of the events that that we run ourselves, we you reach a you can actually reach a broader audience or maybe attract people that probably wouldn't have come to an event before from a different right. part of the world. Have you, have you found that? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, the way I look at it is that the virtual event is a feeder into the physical event. And, you know, if you can get someone who maybe wouldn't have flown to that destination and they can hear you virtually and then they can see the excitement, then next event, potentially, they'll make that um, physical um track to wherever we are and I so I really think that it um and I, I, for, from where I sit I think the more people we can touch the more people who can be informed on the industry the better we are whether they come in person or not of course I always like to see everyone and meet everyone and that's the best part of my job um is the industry itself I've never been like I mentioned earlier I've been in so many different industries nothing beats travel it's the kindest most wonderful curious knowledgeable people that you'll ever find um and this is uh this is where i'll stay for the rest of my career in the travel space that's that's lovely so carolyn is there anything that we haven't touched on today or is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up today simon i think this has been a really fun conversation um i really enjoyed speaking with you and i i I think I said it all. <laughs> I think I do you know what we've covered such a lot of ground. We did. In a, we in did. A short space of time. Yeah, the coffee has helped. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you today. Look, that that brings us to the end nicely of the show today with Carolyn Cremens from Skift. And uh, please make sure that you tune in again to a future Vista Talks where once again we hope to be meeting with some interesting people from all around the world. So, Carolyn, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to catch up with you today. Thank you, Simon. Always good to see you and to talk. Talk Take care. Thanks, Carolyn. Bye.